There are more than 250 million cars on U.S. roads today. Only about 1% of them are electric. But with 7 million more EVs projected to hit the road by 2030, that percentage is changing. The problem? Access to all EVs isn't equal. The majority of EV owners in the country are high income and white. But to cut transportation emissions in the U.S., we need to make EV ownership and charging a staple in all communities. That's where Dr. Shelley Francis and her teammate Evie Noir come in. They're working to combat lack of diversity in EV ownership by collaborating with utilities, automakers, and other stakeholders on national and regional projects. What that simply means is that we have a team of engineers, data scientists and researchers, infrastructure specialists, e-mobility subject matter experts, as well as uh, others who are working collectively and collaboratively with the public and private sector to help them craft and implement their decarbonization strategies. One project, the Mid-Atlantic Electrification Partnership, saw them lending their guidance on how to best deploy 375 chargers and 175 vehicles across communities in D.C., Maryland, Virginia, and West Virginia. Their part in the three-year project began much like all the others. They wanted to go straight to the source by talking to communities about their current mobility needs and challenges. So we initially spent maybe the first six to nine months understanding that landscape by doing a lot of data collection. And then we use that data collection to really inform both policy, practice, and pilots. Gathering data and conducting community outreach are important parts of their strategy. By getting a better idea of consumer interests and concerns, they can shape this and future programs to better serve communities of color and other disadvantaged groups. There's no one-size-fits-all approach, and so it's really important to tailor approaches based on the cities, the communities, the consumer end-user group that's going to be utilizing the mobility. Also, another piece that we've learned is that the messenger matters. This is With Great Power, a show about the people building the future grid today. I'm Brad Langley. Some people say utilities are slow to change they don't innovate fast enough. And while it might not always seem like the most cutting-edge industry, there are lots of really smart people working really hard to make the grid cleaner, more reliable, and customer-centric. This week, I'm speaking with Dr. Shelley Francis, co-founder and managing partner at EV Noir. The data and insight EV Noir collects and presents to stakeholders isn't just for show. They can easily hone in on where there's a need for resources like EV chargers, which influences funding decisions down the line. We can, you know, identify like, hey, these are the communities where they're charging deserts, or these are the communities that are are along highway corridors, which depending on um, what type of highway they are, they may be uh, due to receive infrastructure through the NEVI um, charging infrastructure funding opportunity. Dr. Francis views issues of mobility and EV ownership through a public health lens, with disadvantaged communities suffering the most from the pollution caused by a lack of clean transportation. And so we can try to really mitigate and eliminate some of that uh, pollution, then, you know, there's so many one health benefits. And then also, obviously, when you start thinking about the broader picture around climate and the environment, reducing transportation emissions is critically important to our um, existing environment. Before starting EB Noir, Dr. Francis spent time in academia as a faculty member at Case Western Reserve and Ohio State, and in the public sector as a director of the Georgia Department of Public Health, working on issues of maternal and child health care disparities. So with that viewpoint in mind, I started off our conversation by asking her to describe the state of EV adoption and ownership in communities of color today. 
So what we're seeing in transportation now is the same as what we saw um, when we look at the unequal distribution of broadband across the United States. It is the early adopters who predominantly are white consumers, uh, male, higher incomes who are benefiting the most from it. And so, you know, we've been pointing that out. And one of the things that we're seeing is that when you contrast that with the communities who bear the brunt of discriminatory, past discriminatory transportation policies and um, just policies in general, like redlining or identifying like where heavy industry and transportation corridors were placed, they were disproportionately in communities of color. So there's no surprise that now we see disproportionate impacts of asthma, respiratory diseases, the promulgation of COVID rates is, is definitely in line. And I wrote, you know, some pieces about that during the COVID epidemic about, um, you know, the overlap of the communities where we're seeing the highest, um, you know, air pollution rates and the highest COVID rates, there's no, that's no accident. So I think we there, we have a huge opportunity to do things differently now that we obviously have great strategies and great options around clean transportation and mobility. And so I think there's an opportunity to um, really utilize EVs as this critical strategy to reduce health harming transportation pollution. And when we talk about utilizing EVs, it's not just personal vehicles. It's really thinking about the whole spectrum. So it's everything from micromobility, e-bikes and scooters, all the way up to medium heavy duty freight, transit buses, um, et cetera. So there's an opportunity to really look more closely at how we can better transition away from fossil fuel transportation to um, zero emissions transportation. You talked about the importance of collaboration. And as a consulting company, you've worked with numerous automakers, transit agencies, utilities like Duke, Dominion, and Georgia Power, uh, all in your mission to provide equity and EV adoption. Explain to us how EV Noir works with different kinds of companies and kind of how you bring people together. What is your role in these projects? EV Noir is a consultancy and we focus on electric connected shared and autonomous mobility solutions. So within that that sector, we are focused on two core pillars, electrification or e-mobility best practices with a multimodal focus. And then we're working on electrification, diversity, equity, inclusion. And so companies, consumers around the country are rapidly moving into this estimated $2 trillion transition away from traditional modes of transportation. And so the idea is that everyone from government entities to nonprofit to the philanthropy community to global companies are heavily investing both time and resources to accelerate and shift and transition to this next generation of uh, vehicles, clean vehicles. And it's really critically important that they're affordable, um, that we're utilizing domestic electricity to reduce our nation's dependence on petroleum, as well as improve the global environment. And there's obviously numerous cost savings associated from, um, you know, total cost of ownership to public health, to workforce and economic development opportunities. Um, So those are just some of the, the key benefits. But in terms of how we work specifically with companies, you know, when companies come to us, usually we're trying to address a solution, I mean, a problem that they're facing and they're coming to us to help find that solution. So first, it really depends on what the issue is that they're faced. But generally, we are 
you know, engage with the client or the consumer. And we really want to understand the existing landscape that we're working within. And so we've developed a number of proprietary frameworks that we'll utilize to, one, kind of assess um, the existing data, assess the existing mobility needs. And once we have um, the opportunity to use that discovery data, we'll identify, you know, what makes the most sense from a public policy standpoint, research standpoint, uh, pilots and practice or programs. And so we really try to go from there, but we want to make sure that our strategies are grounded in data and science. And also that if, say, the client wants us to work in a particular consumer uh, community or with specific consumers, we want to make sure that that feedback from those groups are integrated throughout the um, process so that we're really creating tangible solutions and strategies that's going to resonate with the end user and that is actually going to be utilized. So like in the case of automakers, for instance, is it that they want to increase EV adoption in communities of all types or like why would an automaker work with EV Noir, for instance? Yeah, so that's a great question. So an automaker would want to work with us um, for a number of different reasons. So so one, uh, you know, we have one of the largest data repositories examining consumer attitudes, knowledge, and beliefs and behavioral attentions around EV adoption. Um, So that's one piece right there. Um, Another opportunity is obviously we do a a lot of behavioral research around perceived EV adoption, perceived barriers and threats. So for instance, we've helped automakers uh, craft their marketing strategy for launching new vehicles with different audiences. And so we facilitated that critical data research by, you know, segmenting certain groups to understand how the marketing messages should be tailored to that audience. So that's just one way uh, that we've worked with auto auto manufacturers. But again, it really just depends on what is the problem that they're um, trying to address. And so what we say our job is, our job is to fix problems. So we're the problem solvers. Come to us with a problem that's EV related and we will solve it for you. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> We're going to use that tagline if that's okay. That, yeah, it probably needs a little <laughs> bit of polishing, but uh, yes. Um, and so what are some of the best practices you try to use with all clients? Understanding they have different problems they come to you with, but you know, what are those foundational best practices that EV Noir is really grounded in? So... Uh, our motto, we're data-driven, we're centering communities or the clients in our work. Uh, so that's one piece. And I would say like some of the, the best practices would be to really understand where and when an individual can, um, where kind of like that individual can plug into to the space. And so we kind of just go from there in terms of understanding communities um, as well as centering them. And so one of the things that we always you know, say to people when we they ask us, like, well, how do we work better with clients or how do we we're trying to address this particular transportation need in X community? Like, how do we manage that? And so it's really also part of it is relationship building, part of working in any role is just having good relationships and being authentic. And I think if you can be authentic and be open to building relationships and understanding, um, you know, past um, inequities that have occurred in that community or in that in that place, that's a huge step in terms of doing good work and building relationships, 
building authentic partnerships with uh, partners and then really just understanding that you're getting a job, you're getting a check every two weeks. And if you ask folks in the community or in um, other organizations to help support the work that you're leading, you need to compensate them from their time. And so part of the consultant or, you know, the organization's role who would be in that position of power is to understand how they can best work with that community and how they can best compensate that. And that's something that you have to navigate with your uh, community and your stakeholders. I think it's terrific advice. I, I think every business and professional should focus on relationships and authenticity. I think if you have those two things locked down, then you're going to do good, meaningful work. So terrific advice. Um, I am curious, though, have you have you seen certain partnerships prove more successful than others, or are there partnership models that maybe are more effective in increasing EV adoption in communities of color? Yes, I would say creating a space where partners from all these different diverse sectors can really share is really critically important. So obviously, one of the key things that we tell decision makers is the transition is coming. It's best to do it right, be intentional, be equitable, and make sure that it is successful for all communities and consumers, but particularly those communities that have been disproportionately impacted by transportation emissions. Um, So that's definitely a, a big piece of um, you know, what we would say is in terms of just kind of setting the table, so to speak. But again, I think some of those, the best ways to engage would be to, um, you know, work with community organizations or businesses or or leaders who who are trusted and respected can point you in the right direction of who those gatekeepers are that you need to convene with and, or get, uh, uh, you know, get kind of like the green light to, to go into and work in the community. And I think one of the things that is a challenge in the real world is that our timelines are not the same as the timelines in terms of building trust. And so we say that, um, you know, projects move at the speed of trust. And so, you know, sometimes you're working on something that has a 30-day turnaround and it might take you a year to gain entree into that community. It's like, how do you navigate that? And we have a lot of conversations with partners about, you know, dealing with situations like that. And there are different things that you can certainly do. But again, it is really being intentional and authentic and building those relationships before you even have to ask for something. Um, I think that definitely helps. You've mentioned the term gatekeepers a few times. Who are the gatekeepers in this situation? So the, the gatekeepers could be Miss Jones, who lives in X community and has been like this uh, community stalwart figure who's been an advocate for XYZ different, you know, uh, initiatives. Or it could be a lot of times people go to ministers and the faith-based community and, and they have a role to play too. But I think sometimes the, the faith-based community is um, overworked and over-asked for things. So it's important to think outside of that one model. So there's legislative uh, gatekeepers. There are business owners and chambers, you know, that there's a... Um, Asian chamber, depending on the community, Hispanic, Black business chamber, 
Uh, you know, there are educational stakeholders, there are nonprofits, there are hospitals and healthcare systems. So everyone has to do an in- inventory of who potential gatekeepers are either in their communities or in the communities that they're working in to identify like, well, who are the key people that need to be part of this conversation to inform our work? And so they can start there in terms of thinking about it and then you know, kind of, it's like a snowball effect once you start having initial conversations that'll open the door to more contacts. The floodgates open, so to speak. Right? Exactly. Once the gatekeeper yeah, becomes the gate opener, the floodgates <laughs> yes. open. <laughs> that is going true. On and that you, might, you might be trying to pull, pull that door closed because <laughs> there's so many people coming to you. It's <laughs> a good problem but, to have. Um, yeah, definitely. You all are obviously sitting on a lot of data. Um, have you seen any deployment or adoption trends emerge in the data you've gathered over the years? Yeah, no. What we have seen is that, um, and I think we try to point out, is that although we see uh, that Black and brown communities have this high propensity and interest in EVs, what the resources and the um adoption rates look like are not reflective of the data. And so, like, where's the disconnect? And part of the disconnect that we've seen in our research and that we're continuing to try to address is to make sure that we are normalizing EV adoption and we leverage EV hybrid noir to be able to do that and show people like, that. hey, there's EVs at all different price points. Here are the different benefits of EVs. Here are people who are reflective of your various communities utilizing the technology who can speak to it, but whether they are um, in high school, they're a retiree, or a, a recent college graduate, or anything in between. They're folks that can uh, are relatable and can speak to their experiences, but then it's also um, advocating for incentives and rebates public policy that can help make EV adoption easier. One of the things that we know is when you look at more progressive markets, like in Europe, for instance, Norway is a leader in EV adoption. And so there's no accident they've gotten to 92% EV market penetration. And they've done that through like public policy, incentives and rebates. Um, And so we have to look to communities like that, for examples, and so that's why we've been really advocating for a public policy that can make EV adoption easier. So in January of 2024, for instance, the uh, point of sale rebate goes into play. And so essentially what that means is that now uh, when people are going to purchase new or used EVs, they can get the $7,500 off at the time of purchase. Or if it's a used EV, they can get $4,000 off at the time of purchase, but then also making sure that there's charging infrastructure available in all communities so that folks have the ability to charge regardless of if they live in a single family home or if they live in a, you know, a high rise condo building or public housing. The charging piece seems really important. Um, we hear a lot about people's range anxiety and just the network is not built out. Are you finding that the charging piece continues to be a real block for people or, you know, just a concern of, well, this car is not going to do me any good if I don't have any power into it. And like you said, my property doesn't offer these. So where does charging fit into this in the areas of concern that people have about adopting EVs? 
It's definitely in the top three uh, areas of concern or the top three barriers to adoption. And so what I would say to that is that, you know, obviously, um, depending on which study you're looking at, 90% 90 of charging is done at home in your home. However, if you're in that percentage where you can't charge at home, what are you going to do? Well, you have access to community charging or maybe workplace charging. And so we have to do a better job of really ramping up and providing multifamily charging solutions or charging services on demand or providing um, additional workplace and community charging. And so now we're building out uh, charging infrastructure on highways thanks to, um, you know, the um, BIL and the uh, Inflation Reduction Act and the Build Back Better uh, Act. And so the idea is that we're building out charging infrastructure on highway corridors. Then we're going to use community funding uh, for infrastructure to build out cities and rural communities so that we can address charging gaps and deserts. And of course, we need other partners. So whether it's utilities and co-ops or philanthropy or other businesses to fill in some of those other gaps. So we can't expect the government to do it all. Uh, they don't have an unlimited checkbook and we can't expect any um, any audience to do it all. We really have to use what I say is this collective impact where we're leveraging all our resources and expertise to move towards addressing this, you know, this public policy or this public, um, this this problem. If we can invest all our resources and, and really, um, you know, invest them together, I think we can really move the needle to address charging infrastructure gaps and um, as the vehicle technology continues to improve and battery technology continues to improve, when you start getting upwards of 500, 600 to 1,000 miles on a battery, charging infrastructure becomes less of an issue or a less of a barrier. Have there been any significant shifts in the industry or in policy that have impacted your work or maybe caused the strategy at EV Noir to evolve over the years? You know, when we started, we always focused on both general consumers as well as, um, you know, diverse populations. And for us, diverse wasn't just race, ethnicity. It has been rural communities. It has been audiences that have maybe specific ADA needs. It is retirees and LGBTQ+, for instance. So for us, like we are thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion and inclusion specifically more broadly. But I would say we've been doing this work before there were resources, before there was Justice 40. And so for us, you know, we're always thinking about uh, inclusion and where some of the gaps are. And so the, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to continue to be true to really our, our core values and our mission. We will still be, thinking about our work from this lens of like, you know, making sure it's based on data and make sure that our client as well as communities are centered in helping to inform the strategies that we want to create and implement. What is at stake if EV adoption ends up siloed in certain communities and is not accessible to everyone? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, 
first, of course, that means the United States is not going to be able to meet our climate goals if electric mobility options fail to reach consumers, particularly all consumers. We also risk uh, jobs, workforce, and economic development opportunities uh, if we fall behind. Um, if we're behind on the accessible and equitable deployment of EV, that again becomes problematic. This creates obstacles for increasing the workforce. It's also an obstacle for Black and Hispanic middle-class growth, which happened, you know, in prior years as part of the automobile revolution. So, you know, thinking about, um, you know, Detroit manufacturing in Michigan, I think what we are seeing in um, the EV revolution, it could actually be a huge economic driver. Just thinking about where I'm based in Georgia, you know, there's upwards of $30 billion in, in um, you know, increasing daily in terms of the investment around EV manufacturing, battery technology, and the ancillary businesses that are associated with manufacturing electric vehicles, which is a huge economic driver for the state of Georgia, particularly in more rural communities, which are where some of these manufacturing sites are going to be based. So what that means is like the community that may be used to manufacture carpets or flooring that, you know, as those jobs have disappeared over the years, now there's an opportunity for folks who grow up in these communities to get a, you know, six-figure or high five-figure job coming out of high school with training or coming out of that trade or technical school, they can get trained and have competitive career paths in clean technology in the uh, electric vehicle industry. So that's a huge game changer for rural communities as well as urban communities. So I'm really excited about the future around e-mobility and technology and deployment of infrastructure in this country. It's such an important point. I couldn't agree more. Uh, so last question for you. We call this show With Great Power, which is a nod to the energy industry. It's also a, a Spider-Man quote, with great power comes great responsibility. So I'm curious, what superpower do you bring to the energy transition? That's a great question. <laughs> I would say being able to be a transportation disruptor. So Terry and I, and this is really Terry coined this uh, phrase, be, being a transportation disruptor is one. I would say um, just thinking about that in relation to the superheroes. So just being like a chameleon and being able to adapt to new environments like chameleons do, like if they're in an environment where the, the wall is brown, then they become brown. And so for us, in the how it relates to our field is like being able to put pivot like something is happening in the e-mobility space every day and so just being able to gauge and assess that and see how and if you need to transition what you're doing is i think a really important part of working in the space and it's just an ever-evolving field so that would be how i would describe my superpowers fantastic dr francis thank you so much for joining the show really enjoyed our conversation Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Dr. Shelley Francis is co-founder and managing partner at EV Noir. With Great Power is produced by GridX in partnership with Latitude Studios. Delivering on our clean energy future is complex. GridX exists to simplify the journey. GridX is the enterprise rate platform that modern utilities rely on to usher in our clean energy future. We design and implement emerging rate structures, and we increase consumer investment in clean energy, all while managing the complex billing needs of a distributed grid. Our production team includes Aaron Hardick, Davin Abawaji, and Stephen Lacey from Latitude Studios. 
The original theme song is from Sean Marquand. Roy Campanella did the mixing. The Gridex production team includes Jenny Barber and me, Brad Langley. If this show's providing value for you, and we really hope it is, please help us spread the word. You can rate your review us on Apple and Spotify, or you can share a link with a friend, colleague, or the energy nerd in your life. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Brad Langley. 